used to have uh, stories in the moonlight and all that, uh, which under uh, an elderly person. But all these were way of inculcating culture, mm. inculcating ethics, mm. inculcating attitude, um, and teaching morality. Mm. Without education, talking of progress, talking of development, mm. by any human institution or human organization, is a joke. Close the gap between the South and the North. And for as long as that gap remains, so will it affect the unity and wholesomeness of the country. Militant misbehaving in Woody, Woody, and we say, look, send police there, the police were killed. Send military there, the military were killed. Then what do you do? Hi, my name is Gojikin Chikujiaka. I'm the host of Education in Developing Nation, EDM. I'm excited to be sharing this episode with you. We had His Excellency, the former president of Nigeria, Chief Olusegun Obasanjo. We're at his beautiful home in Ogo State, where the presidential library is located. And we had a chat with him on his couch, which you will hear squeal a bit during the conversation. The conversation is broken into three major parts. The first part, we talked about his education experience, his initial experience at home and within the community, which we can term as informal, and then his formal schooling experience. After this, we talked about his time as head of state in the 70s and his return back as president. We wrapped up the conversation with deep wisdom on how to organize a team how to manage a group of excellent people to deliver it. Thank you everyone for joining. Uh, thank you Baba so much for, for this. Uh, so I want to start this conversation on leading in uncertain times and charting uncertain course uh, with a context, background of um, your time as a young man, particularly your first memory of a learning experience you had either at home um, with friends or in school, what was that learning experience you had and what was your time like as a young man growing up um, in Nigeria? Well, Ogochuku, uh, thank you very much. Well, I, I think if I can go back as long as you want me to go back, uh, which is uh, in my growing years in the village, uh, the truth is that I didn't even know I was learning because I was growing up. I was uh, a village boy, mm. born in a village. My village had no school. Mm. Uh, my father didn't go to school. Mm. My mother didn't go to school. Um, the only thing that you can more or less point at as some form of formal learning will be the church. Mm. Um, and those early... Uh, uh, yes, of course, we have a saying, um, I believe almost all communities in the world have uh, a similar saying or something um, akin to uh, that saying that four eyes 
bring a child to the world and 200 eyes bring the child up. Mm. Uh, I think some other said, four eyes bring a child to the world and a, a village mm. uh, uh, bring the child up. But uh, whichever way you uh, couch that saying, there's a saying like that in every community. So my early days of learning mm. was, uh, of course, from my mother and my father, um, who were the first that I knew mm. as, uh, if you like, a teacher of some sort, if you want to talk of them as teachers. Um, uh, then, of course, after that, you have the immediate members of what I would call extended family. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, as I said to you, you didn't even know you were learning. Mm. Uh, then, in some cases, you did what your father was doing. You uh, you say what they were. Uh, saying you copied uh, sheepishly mm. at times you made mistake mm. in trying to copy um, and uh, of course when you did something wrong you are scolded mm. um, either by your mother or by your father or even by uh, uh, a close member of the uh, extended family. Um, one of the things I knew when I was growing up was that uh, if I did something where uh, a close member of the extended family had to tick me off, mm. had to tick me off, um, I would get again punished uh, at home uh, because uh, it meant that I haven't uh, presented myself well mm. and therefore I have uh, brought a bit of uh, stigma mm. so to say mm. uh, to my father and my mother uh, which of course again, again as you rightly said, it's part of learning. I had a, a sister, my junior sister, uh, who uh, was about two and a half, three years older than she was. Um, she's dead now. Um, so we grew up together. And uh, in, in terms of growing up together, we we complimented ourselves in the learning process. Of course, she was a girl, I was a boy, she was junior, I was senior. So, being a boy, uh, I had in a male chauvinistic society, mm. uh, I had an upper hand, mm. or, I'm, or I was supposed to have to have an upper hand, mm. um, and then. Uh, by virtue of the fact that uh, he, he, she was 
junior to me. Uh, so um, I, I have a double upper hand, mm. so to say. Uh, I was male, she was female. I was senior in age, mm. she was junior. Okay, but all the same, we grew up together, learning from ourselves. Mm. And then, of course, the stage beyond the church and the community is actually going to school. Mm. When I knew that, I started learning, formally learning something new. Mm. Um, and uh, I didn't start uh, early. Oh, but before going to school, well, again, informally, I was going to farm with my father. Mm. Uh, I was learning to do what my father was doing on the farm. Hoeing, I will hoe, I will hoe. Uh, cutting, I will cut. Mm. Um, uh, making months uh, or heaps, I will uh, join in making uh, months uh, and heaps. Um, so, again, process of learning mm. from the parents mm. and uh, from the community. Then, as I said, going to school, where formal learning started. Mm. Um, mm. I went to school at about the age of nine, which you would say it was a bit late. Mm. Uh, but the good thing about that is that, or uh, was that, um, I knew my right from my left mm. by the time I, I went to school. Uh, and then I was uh, serious mm. from my first day in school. Mm. Although the man who uh, registered me in school was asking for the name of my father, which to me was an insult. You don't call my father by name. Mm. Um, and uh, I did what I shouldn't do, and I was punished for that. But mm. that was, uh, again, part of learning. <laughs> um, so, but I will say it was in school mm. that I, I became conscious mm. of really learning uh, uh, new things. Mm. I think at home, um, domestic uh, upbringing, uh, what I was learning was both unconscious mm. learning and informal mm. uh, learning. Um, mm. Well, we, we used to have uh, stories in the moonlight Wow. and all that, uh, which under uh, an elderly person uh, would have uh, folklore and mm. again a way of learning mm -hmm. and a way of uh, teaching um, and um, that was very useful uh, but we didn't take it as learning as such mm. uh, as we were growing up just we love these stories and the choruses that we uh, sang with uh, uh, any of the stories that mm. uh, concerns either the tortoise or any animal or any bird. 
um, uh, but all these were way of inculcating culture, mm. inculcating ethics, mm. inculcating attitude, um, and teaching morality. Mm. Then, of course, when you go to school, I did at about the age of nine, um, you build on this. How would you compare those two forms of learning, the informal learning that you had at home and within the community, and the formal learning that you had in school? Um, would you say that one emphasized um, certain type of skills that you could immediately apply, while one prepared you for the future? How would you differentiate them? Well, in my time, there was really no skill um, taught. Uh, we, we we made what we call handiworks. Mm. Uh, we make brooms and uh, baskets and uh, uh, what else? Brooms, baskets. Um, I think those are the sort of thing. But they were not uh, serious handiworks. Mm. And when I got to secondary school, we were making carpentry. Wow. We were in carpentry. We make bookshelves, wow. a seat. Uh, rack, rack for hanging her clothes and things, wow. um, which was um, very uh, important. It, that taught us how to really use her hand in doing something. But um, <clears throat> in the primary school, um, we we didn't learn something that I would say is a serious skill. Mm. Um, in the secondary school, uh, trying to learn carpentry can be regarded as uh, a little bit uh, serious. Mm. Uh, but even then, we didn't pay too much attention to it. Mm. Uh, to make it, uh, to make us to uh, take it seriously, uh, we, we used to be Graded and the mark we got in carpentry used to be added to our uh, marks in other subjects, mm. uh, whether it's arithmetic, English, hygiene, um, and all that. Mm. And that, of course, make, made us to pay a little bit of attention to it. And in my own school, because the man who was teaching us was. Uh, an illiterate, but mm. uh, very, uh, very skilled mm. in uh, carpentry uh, works. It didn't help us, mm. maybe because if he had been uh, a little bit educated, mm. maybe we would have also paid. We would have paid a little bit more attention. Mm. But we had a skill, and uh, uh, some of us kept those things that we made in school racks and uh, bookshelves mm. and uh, uh, boxes. Uh, and we, 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 we used them uh, till late in our life, wow. uh, till, till adult life. Wow. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So I want to talk about when you became president in 1999. Um, can you describe the state of the nation you met with emphasis on the state of education at the time? Well, you see, before I became president, 
one of the things that the government before us and uh, when I say us before Murtala Basajo regime, uh, that is uh, General Gawan's uh, government. Mm. One of the programs it has uh, been paying attention to is UPE, mm. Universal Primary Education. And uh, when I joined um, General Gawan's administration, uh, I, as minister or a commissioner, they, they call us then, uh, as commissioner, which is really minister uh, for works and housing, mm. I became part of the committee for implementation of the universal primary uh, education program of the government. Um, so when President General Gawan rather, was uh, removed from office and Murtala Basanjo regime came in, well, I knew, having been in mm. government and having been a member of the uh, implementation committee of UPE, uh, I knew what was going on. Um, and the, the, the point then was that uh, in some parts of the country, the level of popular education was extremely low. Mm. I think in a state like Sokoto, it was almost as low as 4%. It was uh, uh, compared with uh, what you would call uh, Southwest or Southeast uh, uh, in that, uh, that time. So there was need. Yeah. There was a serious need for uh, increasing popular participation uh, in education, particularly at the primary uh, level. Um, I, I, and I think uh, every effort was made to achieve that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it was not allowed to be uh, to be long-lasting because as soon we launched it in 1977, as soon as I left government in 1979, the government that took over from us did not continue yeah. with that program, uh, which was a pity because without education, talking of progress, talking of development, mm -hmm. by any human institution or human organization, is a joke. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we had three important reasons why we should have consistently taken popular education seriously. Mm -hmm. One, to close the gap between the South and the North. Okay. And for as long as that gap remains, so will it affect 
the unity mm. and wholesomeness of the country. Two, of course, or in fact, the first one is that you as an individual, you cannot de develop your innate capacity mm. and be fully useful to yourself, to your family, and to your community unless you have the right uh, type of education uh, up to the level that you should have it to make it to make you a useful contributor for the enhancement of your personal performance to look after yourself to look after your family to look after your extended family uh, your community and make meaningful contribution uh, to the development, growth, and progress of your community, your nation, and indeed of the world you are in. Mm -hmm. So, first thing is to make you a meaningful contributor mm -hmm. to the development. You must have education. Mm -hmm. Second thing, of course, is what I first said. But um, you, we have to close the gap, mm. uh, and that gap, uh, if anything, uh, hasn't hasn't been closed for many years. Maybe it has been reduced a bit, but the gap is still there. The third thing is that um, without education. Governance will be difficult mm. for the governor and it will be difficult for the governed. Mm. Uh, what makes ease of governance for, governor, uh, for the governor and for the governed is the education, the knowledge, the understanding, and the, uh, the appreciation of the governor. Mm. of what is there going on in his own uh, uh, community mm. and how to make use of it and how to deal with it, what is going on in his uh, uh, nation, in his uh, uh, sub-regional uh, area or in his continent or indeed in the world at large. And if you don't know that, you will not be able to do the best for your country. Mm. And the same applies to the governed. And the governed, uh, uh, somebody asked me a question uh, once and said, look, uh, if everybody is educated, who will be the servant? I said, if everybody is educated, then you will get a better servant. Mm. And I think that is the thing. Mm. That, look, Education is what makes you better than you will normally have been. Mm. And, and we must accept that. Mm. Uh, that first, popular education. We must admit that there is a minimum standard, a minimum level that every Nigerian should, or, or indeed every human being, mm. must attain, which will mean that his, innate, his or her innate uh, capacity have been 
developed mm. to a point where it can make meaningful contribution mm. uh, to uh, the development or development around him. Now, <clears throat> this, I think, is fundamental. Mm. Then, of course, we have to talk about the quality of education. There are so many things in education that you have to talk mm. You have to uh, touch upon and improve upon quality. Um, then you have to talk about the motivation um, for education. Mm. You have to talk about science, uh, education, in technology. You have to talk about uh, innovation mm. in education. You have to talk about research. And, and then the thing they are talking about now, uh, science, technology, mathematics, engineering, and of course, I always add arts. Mm. Uh, so all these are things because uh, to be a well-rounded man mm. or woman, you must have a well-rounded education mm. as well. So I have two questions. Um, one is a follow-up to what you just talked about. Um, so you, the lessons and the challenges you took away from implementing that program, um, whether it's the UP or the UBE, uh, much later. Well, maybe before we come to that is in 1999 when you came into um, government as a president, what was the reality of education that you met, considering that you had um, you know, handed over power? In, in 1999, of course, we remember that I had come in 1975 yeah. with uh, Mutala, yeah. and I left in 1979. Mm. Okay, I, I think we should talk about that first. And when we introduce UPE, mm. uh, what we found is part of what I have said earlier. But more importantly, it is what I found most most uh, discouraging uh, is the attitude in some quarters to education. Mm. I, told you earlier on that somebody asked me the question, when everybody is educated, who will be the servant? So the belief or the notion in some quarters is that you need to have people who will be the drawers of water and the hewers of wood. Mm. Wood should not be educated, mm. which that I believe is a dangerous notion. And that, I believe, still persists till today in parts of this country. Um, that was one thing that I met in, in 1979, mm -hmm. and that was why, of course, I took the issue of UPE mm -hmm. very seriously. Mm -hmm. When I came back 20 years later, in 1999, it was still there. Mm. And um, by then, of course, I've realized that uh, just six years of education is not enough. Mm. So we went from UPE to UBE, mm. Universal Basic Education, a minimum of nine years 
in the uh, nine years of formal education in school. Um, it, it is this dangerous notion that we must get rid of that, look, you need to have some people who should have education and some people so that they can be uh, drafts of water and drafts of uh, wood mm. uh, should not have education. I believe if we all understand that we will be able to make maximum or optimum uh, contribution mm. to our society by having education, mm. then we will make sure that we have, we make everybody have access to education. Mm. The other dangerous thing is the, the, the way a female a child education is uh, either treated or is uh, uh, looked at. Mm. Um, my own sister was a victim of this. My father believed that a girl's education uh, ends up in the kitchen. Mm. So my sister only had one year of education and my father withdrew her from her school. And uh, girl-child education must be taken as seriously as boy-child uh, boy education. Mm. Because if you don't do that, it means that you are only preparing 50% of your population mm. um, and equipping them and giving them skills for lifelong uh, production and contribution to their society. Mm. Um, because uh, you can take it roughly that the population is uh, almost 50% boys and 50% girls. And if you keep girls behind in education, you don't make them have access, then they will be behind in making contribution to development. Mm. So it is important mm. that girl-child education is giving as much attention, as much uh, uh, focus, mm. as much uh, material support as boy-child uh, education. Mm. Uh, one last question about this. So you had mentioned that um, the problem of you know how people conceptualize education was existent during UPE, and then when you came in 20 years later, it was still existent uh, during UBE. What would you advise someone who wants to do a similar thing in say three years or four years time? Uh, what would you advise them in terms of how they implement a universal access to education um, program in Nigeria, considering the learning experience from implementing those two programs? Well, I will go even a little bit further now. I will now say that uh, every child should have uh, education up to secondary school level. Mm. And um, what I have found is that uh, I went to a secondary school where before I got to that secondary school, they used to have three arms in Form 1 and Form 2. Mm. 90 
in form one, mm. 90 in form two, and when they are going to form three, 30 will go out. Mm. They will be weeded out. And some of those 30, they are not people who could not benefit from secondary education. Almost all of them could benefit from secondary education. But mm. because the space was restricted, and then when they get to Form 4, there will be 60 in Form 3, 60 in Form 4, and uh, to go to Form 5, only 30 will go. Mm. And then in Form 6, 30 will take the um, uh, school certificate uh, uh, examination. Um, by the time I, uh, I entered the school, they have reduced it to 60 entering in form, uh, in, in, in form one. Mm. And then only in form four will they uh, without 30, so that 30 will go to form five and form six. Now, what you find is that it's a colossal waste of, uh, of resource because mm. some of those people may or may not be able to uh, make it beyond form uh, f four. Mm. Um, some money to go to other schools, some money to stay at home and learn and all that. But what I have come to realize is that if you seriously complete secondary education, I think you are prepared to face almost any challenge mm. in life. Mm. Uh, and you can build mm. on your foundation. Mm. So uh, if you ask me uh, today, if I want to do it today, I will say yes. Mm. All, I would go, say all students, all children should have secondary education. Mm. And, and that would be uh, so. Uh, I have moved, if you like, mm. to say from uh, UPE to UBE and now to what I call popular education, mm. which is uh, up to uh, secondary uh, school. Mm. So I want to maybe shift gears a bit. So it's commonly said, and I fully agree, that Nigeria was very fortunate so I've had you as president um, in 1999 when we did. Um, and this is, you know, because of you, you're someone with the leadership attributes, you had the wisdom, the dexterity, and understanding of the uh, military structure. Um, and because of this benefit, right, you were able to manage the transition, the democratic transition, um, as you did. Um, can you talk about some of the specific actions you took to help curb any sort of coup that might have happened if someone else, other than someone with your experience and skills, um, are taking over? Well, Gotiko, uh, I, I don't know. Well, I, I think a number of things helped me in 1999. One, the fact my military background helped me. Mm. That's number one. Uh, number two, my 
background of having been a military uh, head of state mm. from 1976 to 1979 helped me. Three, the fact that I was put in prison mm. uh, was also very helpful um, because uh, it gives me exposure mm. that I would ordinarily not have had. But more importantly is what I call the 20-year interregnum between 1979 and 1999. It gave me wide exposure. Mm. I met the high and low in politics mm. in the world, the high and low in military in the world, the high and low in education in the world, the high and low in uh, diplomacy in the world, mm. the high and low in science and technology in the world. I was extremely, extremely lucky to have that 20 years of free education, mm. if I can put it that way, mm. and interacting, mingling, and... Uh, uh, learning from what I would call the best of teachers, the best of men and women who have had experience in different walks of life. Mm. And that was very useful. Mm. And, um, and as I said, even my being in prison was also a useful contribution mm. to my preparation for the year 1999 to 2007. So what would you say your vision for education was when you came into the presidency in 1999? So this is after the 20-year gap. Um, you came into the presidency and the reality of education you saw. What would you say was your vision of where you wanted to Well, the first thing is uh, what I have always been saying. There should be no Nigerian child hmm. that shouldn't be deprived popular education, mm. no Nigerian child, for any cause, mm. or for any reason. And that is my, uh, uh, my vision, and it means my vision and my mission. Mm. There's no Nigerian, no African child, mm. indeed, should not have access to popular education. And don't forget, I said popular education is secondary education. Okay. So one of the challenges of leadership is finding great people to work with. And a lot of commendation has been said about the team you had, um, especially between 1999 and 2007. A lot of them have gone on to do very excellent things, and we can mention quite a lot of them. Um, can you share a bit about the process that you went through in finding those people and then selecting them to join your FEC? Um, team, Federal Executive Council team? Well, well, my own belief is that there's no uh, scarcity of men and women of ability, mm. of talent mm. uh, in Nigeria. 
no matter which part of Nigeria you look, the question is, do you look hard enough? Mm. And do you really want competent men and women with track record that can achieve mm. for you to use? Now, anybody can be in any office. Anybody. Mm. Uh, but not everybody can perform. Mm. So how do you pick performers? Mm. How do you pick achievers? Mm rather than picking anybody. Mm. Um, and the same thing I say about leadership. Leaders don't flock. Mm. You should know that. But when we get leaders, let us make use of them. Mm. And the same way, uh, and I'm talking of leaders in every walks of life, mm. because when you talk of leaders, people tend to only think of political leaders. Political leaders matter because uh, politics leads in everything that we do. Mm. Uh, but you are talking of leaders in all walks of life. Mm. Now, when you get good ones, make use of them. And they're there. Mm. They're there. I, you have to look for them. Mm. Headhunt. Mm. Even in your own, my, in my working place, you know, and if you pick one and it doesn't perform and you don't, you let him go. Mm. You don't hang on to a, a non-performing uh, 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 man or woman. Mm. No. It's also weakness on your part mm. that you cannot dispense with the services of somebody who is not a, a non-performer. A non mm. okay. But you, if you pick somebody and you see that it's not performing, okay, that's not a, a sin that you pick a non-performer mm. because you may not be able to have f uh, properly uh, assess him or her. Mm. But it is, uh, to me, a heinous crime when you find a non-performer and you keep hanging on to a non-performer mm. because there's no reason why you should. Mm. Mm. Uh, so... Uh, but look for the best. Mm. And even if the one you think is the best turn out not to be the best, be ready to discard it. Mm. Card him or her. Look for another one. Mm. Remember, how do you, how do you, so now you found the best, right? So for example, in your time, someone like Dr. Obi went from, she was one time Minister of Education. She was also Minister of Minerals and headed other parastatals. Uh, how do you determine what portfolio to place these people who... No, well, you, you, you see, you have to guide. Mm. Um, you, you take Obi, that you have taken. Obi, the first job I give Obi is uh, due process. Yeah. And uh, so some, some people still call her Madame due process till tomorrow. Mm. Okay. And I found him excellent in that. So in the process of looking at my ministries, what I, I need and the type of people, I needed somebody who can deliver in education. Mm. So I took her, rather, solid minerals. Mm -hmm. Then I found that education was much lacking. Mm. And I remember one day I was in my office. I was thinking of how do I handle the problem of education mm. and it's really biting me. Um, 
and one of my senior advisors came to my office and said, uh, Mr. President, you look low today. I said, yes, I am low because I have a problem. And he said, if I may ask, uh, can I share uh, this problem with you? I said, yes, why not? So I told him the problem. I said, look, I am not happy with the situation in education. And um, there are four people among my ministers that I believe I take to education. They will perform the way I want them to perform. But all the four of them are holding important uh, portfolio. And he said, who are they? I mentioned them and what they are doing. And he said, yeah, education, as you said, is very important. But, Mr. President, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, oh, I don't mind, I ask. I said, will you say that solid mineral is more important than education? So I thought for a while, I said, no, why do you ask a question like that? Education, of course, is uh, more important. He said, then, uh, why are you, uh, among the four people you have mentioned, uh, one is in solid mineral, why don't you take him, take her from solid mineral to education? Mm. I said, yes, you are right. I will look for, I said, solid mineral is a, a, an area that has also been neglected. But, uh, you are right, I will send the, ma the woman in solid mineral to education and look for somebody else for solid mineral. No, that's what happened. Uh, that's what happened. Yeah. Okay. And um, you, you look at it, you juggle around uh, that way. Nasrul El Rufai was doing something, and I, I realized that uh, federal capital territory is very important. It, uh, the master plan was being uh, destroyed and all that. So, and I know he, I thought he can do the job. I brought him there, mm. and he did a, 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 a splendid job there. Mm. I think you you try uh, and you see whether it will work. And if it works, well and good. If it doesn't work, remove him or her and, and look for something else. Wow. Okay. That, that, that's the way. But uh, I, I believe that people, good people, can be found. Mm. Competent people can be found. Mm. Uh, men and women of reasonable integrity can be found mm. uh, to perform. And if you make a mistake in selecting one that does not live up to your expectation, allay. So the other question I was going to ask is, so in speaking with other ministers of education from maybe Zimbabwe, Liberia, one of the things they express quite strongly is the support they got from the presidency and the finance uh, minister. How should a future executive, right, as you did, um, 
conceptualize the role the government of the government uh, is not should not be run in silos hmm. minister of education all by itself minister of agriculture all by itself hmm. no and the only person who link everything together is the chief executive hmm. particularly that is what executive president is all about or executive presidency because you are executive mm. and those ministers are acting on your behalf mm. and that's why you can remove one minister and put him uh, have somewhere and all that mm. so the point is this uh that look the ministry of education should be interested in Ministry of Finance. Mm. Because finance to run education comes from Ministry of Finance. Mm. The Ministry of Finance should be interested in Ministry of Education. And Ministry of Agriculture should be interested in Ministry of Industry and Trade. Mm. Because when you produce your uh, commodity, what happens to it? You want to add value, you want to sell, you want to export. Mm. So. There should be no development or administration in silos. Mm. It must be all wholesomely mm. put together. All right? Mm. Comprehensively put together. Mm. So that, yes, when you talk of agri agriculture, you are actually talking of agribusiness. Mm. You are talking of industry in it. You are talking of trade. You are talking of marketing. You are talking of export. And all, everybody has its role to play. Mm. The other point is that the, the chief executive must be on top of all this. Mm. In fact, that's why he's executive president. He's chief executive and he must be on top of all this. Mm. He has a Minister of Agriculture, but he's, he's also his own Minister of Agriculture. He has a Minister of Foreign Affairs, but he's also his own Minister of Foreign Affairs. He has a Minister of Industry. He's also his own Minister of Industry. He has a Minister of uh, Trade or Defense. He's also his own Minister of Defense. What do you mean by that? By that? I mean, he must know sufficiently about what is going on in those ministries. Mm. And he must be, he must have given the minister clear guideline of what mm. should be done. Mm. When I appoint a minister, one of the first things he gets is what I would call the mandate. Mm. Well, my final question is this. Um, what would you say was your biggest challenge in leading Nigeria? And do you have any regrets? My biggest challenge? Yes. There are many challenges. Well, depends on how you determine what is big. Or, uh, for me, the biggest challenge is keeping Nigeria together and making Nigerians uh, feel that they belong. Mm. And um, that, that is the first responsibility. For a country like Nigeria, um, keeping Nigeria together and making every Nigerian feel 
a sense of belonging. And then, of course, development, progress, and economic, social, and all that. Mm. But the first is how do you keep this country uh, together and make every Nigerian, uh, no matter where they come from, feel that they belong mm. to this project mm. called Nigeria. Mm. So, are there any regrets or anything you wish you could do different if you, if you were, if you were, if you could do it all over again? Anything you wish you could have done differently? Not really, mm. because everything that came my way that you take my, that you engage my attention, and you can never predict what will happen. Mm. Um, there are many things that are happening in the world that we have implication for you. You can never. Uh, predict them and if they have implications you have to mm. do something about it there are things that will happen in your own country that you do not expect um, I do not expect that uh, uh, one Friday morning a cleric uh, will be leading prayer in Kano and uh, 5.30 a.m. and somebody will take a gun and go and shoot him Dead. Now, what do you do uh, in that? It's very unexpected. You don't know about it. It will happen. Uh, but then what immediate action do you take? Mm. Or uh, militant uh, misbehaving in uh, Udi. Mm. Udi. And uh, you say, look, send police there. The police were killed. Send military there. The military were killed. Then what do you do? Um, Something has to be done, mm. because if you don't do something, you cease to be effective commander-in-chief. Mm. Um, so you have to do something, wake up and do something about it. Mm. Otherwise, it uh, festers like a bad soul. Mm. Um, so um, then uh, you have other things happening uh, in other parts of the world. We woke up one day and we have uh, Darfur. What is happening here? What do we have to do about it? Or something happening in Sierra Leone. Hey, what is this? Or in Liberia. What is this? Mm. Uh, so, um, there are challenges. But uh, all these are important challenges. I won't say the challenge in Darfur is more uh, important than the challenge in Sierra Leone or in uh, um, Liberia. Mm. Uh, now, will I say the challenge in Odi uh, is more important than the one in uh, in, in Benue, where soldiers were decapitated? Um, but you have to deal with the uh, challenges as they come. One thing that I believe is that don't allow, allow challenges to uh, linger on for too mm. much. Because then they will become wise, mm. as they say in my part of the world. If a problem is not attended to in time, it becomes intractable. Mm. Um, people don't say it becomes intractable, they say it becomes wise. Mm. And when it becomes wise, it's more difficult to deal with. Mm.